Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Well, I wonder even as we read that passage and engaged with it with the Auslan sign, if I can make sure to use my middle finger to do that, um, and that repetition of blessed, if you found, you realised how strange that passage is, you could easily say, Jesus, you must be joking in what you're saying here. Uh, they're very familiar words and in their familiarity have a certain comfort, but if you take them seriously, they're bizarre, aren't they? Uh, the word blessed, and again, you know, indicated with that Auslan sign, is you have what is really worth having. You're to be envied. Your life is so good. Uh, it, it's not just you could be happy or this is okay. This is the best thing. And according to Jesus, the best thing that you can have, people whose life is to, are to be envied are poor in spirit. Weak, struggling, they mourn, they're meek, they hold back instead of asserting themselves, they long for justice and righteousness, they're merciful, they act in compassion, their hearts are devoted to God, they work for peace and they suffer for Jesus' sake. And those people, Jesus says, are enviable. Now, we certainly admire some of those qualities. If you're going to, if you got to have a choice of who your next door neighbour was was going to be, someone who was meek and merciful and peace loving, you'd, that'd be great. That'd be the ideal neighbour. But if that was your neighbour, do you envy them for what they are? Long to be meek like they are. Wish that you mourned and hungered for righteousness the way they do. If they're poor in spirit and very aware of their own weaknesses and failings, and if they were persecuted and insulted and people spat on them as they walked down the street, would you say to yourself, I wish I had a life like hers? Jesus, you've got to be joking to say this. These beatitudes, and the word beatitude is just a Latin word for blessing, these beatitudes are so strange. Why does Jesus take these characteristics which are unimpressive and hold them up before us to say, make them your ambition. Here's your life goal. Suffer, mourn, long, seek, submit, don't count. Let us in on the joke, Jesus. Now, this is Jesus' first lesson in discipleship. It's at the very start of his ministry in Matthew's gospel. He's called his disciples. The, he's begun preaching. The crowds have gathered. And so he goes up onto the mountain and he meets with his disciples to teach them. We find out at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that the crowds have gathered to listen as well. But, but this is Jesus instructing his disciples. And here's the starting point. This is Discipleship 101, the surprising fortune of the unimpressive. So, so what does Jesus mean by it? The, the big clue is 
in you know, what we what people would often call an inclusio, uh, the beginning and the end of the list of Beatitudes, apart from the final saying which breaks the pattern, but the beginning and first of that rhythmic list uh, begins with the kingdom of heaven and ends with the kingdom of heaven. And so that's a clue that actually everything in between in that sandwich is also about the kingdom of heaven. And we found out in chapter 4 that that's what Jesus has already begun to proclaim Back in verse 17, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Down in verse 23, he's gone around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And our survey over the last year of the big story of the Bible should have really set us up well to understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, We've seen the story, the creation of the world, things go wrong because of sin. God sets out to redeem the world through Abraham and his children, Israel. Uh, Things are ruined by their sin, but they still cling to a hope of redemption, especially because the prophets came at the end of the uh, exile or through the time of the exile and taught them to look forward to a time when God himself would come and save his people and defeat his enemies and bring justice and peace and harmony and prosperity when he would be honoured and people from every nation would come to him and and gather in Jerusalem. The Old Testament prophets said when that came, when that happened, the Messiah, the promised king would come to establish the kingdom. And we read one of those beautiful descriptions of all of that in Isaiah 61 just a few minutes ago. That's the kingdom. And they should know the kingdom is secure because it's God's promised future, but they're waiting for it. But now Jesus, the Messiah, has arrived. Jesus, who is the Lord himself, has come to establish the kingdom. And he announces the kingdom is near. It's it's present because he's there, but there's more to come. As Jesus speaks, it's a seed that's yet to grow. It's a, the dawn, but the full sunrise is, is, is yet to arrive. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, I guess lots of people will know this, uh, gives a lovely picture of the arriving of the kingdom. Uh, you might remember the four Pevensey children end up in Narnia and they find that it's a land uh, in which it's always winter but never Christmas. And the, it's covered with this deep blanket of snow because of the spell of the white witch. But, but then as they meet the beavers and begin to travel through Narnia, the snow begins to melt and the flowers start to bloom because Aslan has come. Now, now that actually happens quite early in the book. And there's plenty more adventure and battle to come before the great climax of Aslan's death and the resurrection, his his returning to life, and the full rescue of Narnia. But that snow melt is the first sign of the change. And it's like that with Jesus in the Gospels. The kingdom is arriving and the signs are there. That's at the end of chapter 4. Jesus went out not only proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, but healing people, 
and the news about him spread and they brought to him people with all sorts of illnesses and demon possession and, or, and, and um, people who are paralysed and he heals them all. There's the snow melt. The kingdom is near. And through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a lot to say about the kingdom and being in the kingdom. We prayed the Lord's Prayer earlier, which, of course, comes from the Sermon on the Mount, praying your kingdom come. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So Jesus says the kind of people who will be blessed are people who long for and live for the kingdom. And, and that's the kind of people that Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes. They long for the kingdom. They face up to their own helplessness and rely on God. And they look like God. They seek to reflect the character of God in their own lives. Let me show you that in a little bit more detail. Uh, first of all, Jesus describes people who know things are, are not right and long for God to make them better. And, and, and fix them up. They're people who mourn. They're people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, if you want God to rule, but you live in a world where he doesn't, in a world where people reject God and, and where evil reigns and you struggle with sin, there's a lot to mourn. And so I don't think that verse 4 is simply about a mourn, grief, the morning of grief over someone's death or sorrow at a funeral. I mean, it can be part of that if you recognise that death is always a sign that we live under the sway of sin and evil. And if you mourn over sin and God's judgment, you'll, you'll long for things to be different. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you're someone who's pure in heart, verse 8. They're people whose hearts have a single focus on God. They have an undivided determination and commitment to see his kingdom come in and to long for that. And so Jesus is describing here people who long for God's kingdom. That's not something that's easy or comfortable. It, it should make you restless, unsettled, dissatisfied. A few years ago, I read an article in the Tear magazine um, from the Evangelical Relief Organisation, Tear, and, and it's really stuck with me, just this description of a lady from Tanzania who was mourning for her land, where she lived at that time, um, and I think pretty commonly still in those parts of Africa. Uh, terrible famine, children couldn't get enough to eat, parents were feeding their children poison berries to try and at least avoid the pains of hunger. And the report said, spoke of how sad she was, that she and her church wept and prayed and cried to God to change things. So that's pleading for the kingdom. That's mourning over the evil of the world. And Jesus says they are blessed. It, it, I think in contrast, we're often so content and comfortable, aren't we? Jesus is describing who people look at the world and know that it's wrong and they want God to make it right and they won't settle for the status quo. 
They want God to matter more. They long for his honour and they want things to, to, to run his way. Secondly, if you want God's kingdom to come, then you face up to your own helplessness. And I think this is in a couple of ways that they're mixed together. One is we can't fix up things for ourselves. Even if we all get together, we can't bring in God's justice and his righteousness. Uh, faithful people in Israel knew this in Jesus' time. They've been waiting for 400 years for the kingdom to come. They had no king. They had a series of occupying uh, other countries occupying them. And, and what they could do was wait and pray. You also see your own helplessness when you realise that you don't fit into the kingdom. You're, you're asking God to fix things up, but you need to be fixed up. You want God to clear sin out and evil, but you're actually part of the problem. And so the kingdom people face up to their own helplessness. They're poor in spirit. They admit their powerlessness, their weakness, their desperate need of God. They're meek. They don't claim their own rights because they know that before God they have no rights. And so this quiet, weak, insignificant, struggling, desperate people who throw themselves on God, Jesus says they've got a good. And, and then they also reflect God's character. If you want God's kingdom, then you want his ways to be your ways, and so you imitate him. So Jesus says they're merciful because God's been merciful to them. You know that you don't deserve the kingdom, but God welcomes you in. You show mercy and active, caring mercy like God's mercy for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German theologian um, and martyr uh, who, who died for his opposition to Hitler's regime, uh, wrote his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship. And a lot of that is meditation on the Beatitudes. And on this Beatitude, he writes this, thinking about what's God's mercy like and how do we reflect God's mercy? He says, Are these people, as if their own needs and their own distress were not enough, they take upon themselves the distress and the humiliation and the sin of others. They have an irresistible love for the downtrodden, the sick, the wretched, the outcasts, for all who are tortured with anxiety. They go out and seek all who are enmeshed in the toils and sin of guilt. And, and then I think this is the key to his thought. That is how Jesus, the crucified, was merciful. When your king has been merciful to you like that, that's the mercy you show to others. Similarly, he says, you'll be a peacemaker. The kingdom person strives for peace, seek reconciliation and harmony. In the kingdom, God will beat the swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. And so people who live for the kingdom want that now. We want it in the, you know, the geopolitics of between peace between nations. We want it in our own homes. When politics starts at work and there are insiders and outsiders and winners and losers, the kingdom person aims at true peace. These virtues that Jesus 
praises, these unimpressive qualities, aren't simply chosen at random. And they're not like a box of chocolates that you can just pick the ones that you like, pick your favourites. You might like peacemaking, but leave meekness out of it. Certainly don't take suffering. Uh, that's, that's not the way Jesus is thinking. This is the package of what it means to be someone committed to the kingdom. And why is it that it looks so unimpressive? Well, it's because Jesus is turning the world upside down. He's come to a world that is running away from God and he commits himself to live for God and he calls people to live like that. In a world where people are trying to make their own future, kingdom people look for God's future. And that's confronting for people around them. Unimpressive and even worse than unimpressive, objectionable. And so Jesus says you'll, you'll suffer for the sake of the kingdom. You'll be persecuted. People will mock you and insult you for my sake. Jesus comes and turns things upside down. Actually, they're already upside down and he comes and puts them back the right way. And people who are committed to the kingdom, uh, sorry, people who are committed to their own kingdoms, who like things the way they are, hate lives that are lived for God's kingdom. They turn on people who follow Jesus. To them, kingdom people look unimpressive or, or worse. Yet even though Jesus describes these unimpressive people, he says they have it good. And the reason, of course, is really obvious at this stage. The kingdom has come and it will come. And so people who live for the kingdom will get what they most want because God will triumph. That's Jesus' great point. The kingdom is on its way. The snow is melting, spring is in the air, summer will come. In fact, even now, this is the point of the spring and, and the, the snow melting. Um, even while we're waiting for God's kingdom to come fully and finally and completely with Jesus' return, we already enjoy these blessings. We're already children of God. We already receive the comfort of the gospel and the presence of the comforting presence of God's spirit. We, we're already filled as we yearn for God. We receive God's mercy. We grow in righteousness. We know God. We see him. When you step back, you see what a different world Jesus has described, what a different vision he has of human life compared to the world around us. I mean, think of advertising. What does advertising say is the good life? What, what, what is, when an ad wants to tell you that you know, this is great, what, what does life look like? It's healthy, prosperous, happy, friendly, wide, white smiles, friends slapping on the back, uh, smooth, enticing bodies, sleek, fast cars, bright, big houses, success, influence, power. You know, with different variations, that's the good life in the ads and on social media. But Jesus describes someone who weeps because the world is wrong, someone 
focused on God and longing for his rule, who knows they're powerless and have got nothing to exert. There's no mention of bodies or families or cars or power or riches. Of course, the things in the ads don't last in the end. If you long for them, they deceive you because the kingdom of God is already arrived in Jesus and will come and it is real. Only people who live and long for the kingdom are blessed and Jesus isn't joking. And yet, in a way, there is a joke here, isn't there? A kind of joke. Because a good joke has a reversal in it. We laugh because we thought it would be one thing and then the punchline is something else. And so like a joke, Jesus inverts or subverts our expectations and makes us squirm. It's meant to. If thinking about the Beatitudes this evening leaves you wondering whether you're really a disciple, then you've got the point. If you can treat them as gentle, comforting, easy sayings, then you've really missed what Jesus is talking about here. They make me realise how little I long for what God wants, how easily I fall in love with my own prosperity, how quickly I'll trade righteousness in for acceptance or comfort. So Jesus asks, are we really ready to take him seriously? to think and long and live and pray differently, to give up achievement and depend on God, to grieve for sin and long for righteousness, to live out God's character of mercy and peace and justice, to suffer for Jesus' sake. Will we pursue the surprising fortune of the unimpressive? Let's pray. Great God, thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, has brought the kingdom into our world as he healed and taught and gathered his people. Even more that he died and rose and ascended and rules with you. Thank you that in him and by him, you are the rightful king of your people and your world. Help us to set our hope on him and his rule, to long for that and live for that, knowing that we are helpless and trusting you and reflecting your character. And in that, may we know the blessing, the blessing of of comfort, of a great inheritance, of feeling, of mercy, of seeing you, of being your children, the blessing of the kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.